Welcome to Inspiration and Isolation, a weekly conversation with Alaska artists that explores creativity, adaptation, and resilience among Alaskans during this pandemic era. I'm Asia Freeman, Artistic Director of Bunnell Street Art Center in Homer, and joining me today are Katie Birch, Thore Monroe, and hopefully Amber Webb. These artists have all lived and worked along Bristol Bay for many years. I will introduce them and I will invite you all to um, ask questions, to share um, comments in the chat box, and we'll try to weave everybody who would like into this conversation. Let me begin by inviting um, or introducing Katie, who inter interweaves art, science, and commercial fishing on a daily basis. She's fished in Bristol Bay for the past 30 years, where she and Tom raised their two girls in the summer. She's just finished a fellowship with Alaska Salmon Fellows exploring salmon sustainability, equitability, and Alaska salmon and people systems. Thore Monroe, Spencer Winters, and Homer, where she was raised, and her summers fishing in the Igiak River in Bristol Bay. You know, she was also raised doing that. <laughs> she recently completed a master's degree in architecture and currently has an exhibit at Bunnell Street Art Center. Hopefully, shortly, Amber Webb will join us. She's an artist and activist from Dillingham of Yupik and Unagan Heritage. She's received a Rasmussen Individual Artist Award and a Project Award for her work exploring Yupik storytelling to tell contemporary stories of oppression and resilience. So thrilled to have um, you and all of our um, listening audience with us today. Um, as artists who spent a lot of time living and making around Bristol Bay, I'm really interested in exploring your ideas, insights, and thoughts on the intersections of work, creativity, and pandemic. What connects you all is art in Bristol Bay, the time that you've spent there and how it shapes your creative life. I'd like to start the conversation by asking each of you to share a little bit of a sort of personal biography. Speak about your relationship to Bristol Bay, if you would. Katie, you want to start us out? Sure. Oh boy, relationship to Bristol Bay, that's a big melting pot. Um, yeah, it's been our family source of income and um, and uh, just it's really one, the naturalist in me has been won over by the grandeur of the landscape in Bristol Bay and um, in my mind it's kind of like the movies of the African Serengeti and I don't think that you see that until you uh, have spent time out there you don't understand how much life is coursing over the land but um, yeah just every summer for many many years go out and um, run a crew and uh, live on the land and and further relationships with all my friends that live out there and that come out for the summer. Thank you. And um, Thorey, while Amber, I'm so happy you've joined us. Well, Amber just has a chance to kind of settle into this conversation from her car once again, and thank you. <laughs> Thorey, could you um, share, us, <laughs> share with us, orient us a little bit to your relationship to the Bay? Um, yeah, I was, uh, raised out there in the summer times i'm uh, about the same age as katie's daughters and had a very similar upbringing um that they did my parents um started fishing in bristol bay when i was like a year old or so and um so i was raised on the set net site and very much in the tundra um for the first 10 or 11 years and then i started fishing with my dad on the drift boat and um uh, about 10 years ago had the opportunity to buy his boat and a permit and I've been running my own drift boat ever since. So uh, yeah, that seasonal rhythm of, of uh, being outside and on the water has been just, it's just part of my life. And uh, I think for a lot of people who are raised in it, it either really clicks or it's something that they want to move away from. But um, that seasonal aspect has been something that I'm pretty committed to. Um, yeah, Bristol Bay feels like a family member in our family. It's a place where we all are able to be together and 
be really uh, just embedded in the landscape and that rhythm of light and water and tide. So yeah, it's a really important place for me and my family. Thanks, Sarai. Amber, welcome. Super happy that you could uh, you can join us. So we're talking a little bit about um, our roots and history um, in Bristol Bay, and I wanted to ask you if you would share, you know, in a brief kind of biographical sense, your own roots there. Well, I'm calling from uh, downtown Dillingham from my car. Uh, I, I'm from here. I live here. Uh, my great 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 grandmothers were from here. Um, and my family's been following the salmon for over seven generations. Um, I can tie my history um, back to this place for at least 10,000 years. So um, this, is, this is where I invest my time and all of the different issues that come into play uh, within this community are my issues too. So <laughs> I guess that's, I guess that's how I would put it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Really glad. And I know Katie and Thore too are both extremely pleased to be able to meet you this way and to share with you. Um, I would like to, move into the kind of the exploration of how Bristol Bay has shaped your creative voice for each of you, the kind of work that you make and how it um, expresses a sense of place, um, you know, within yourself, within your work. Do you want to, um, you want to talk a bit about that, Katie? Um, yeah, just, um, can you repeat the question again? I was yeah, it's, how, does, how has Bristol Bay shaped your creative voice? Why and how um, does that deep sense of place inform your work? So let's talk about well, your work. Yeah, I guess um, there, you know, in the commercial fishery, the way that uh, we do it anyway, there's, it's just uh, it's a very intense uh, time. Um, you know, I look at the, the rest of my life, like the summer is very intense. There's a lot of emotions, a lot of, uh, tragedy and up and down and um, and then so you know if it seems like those times are gonna push and push art out of me more than um, other things so it, it, the intensity and the the um, things that have happened out there um, and and also just um, I have kind of a pessimistic view on uh, what the world is going to do with the salmon out there and uh, or what the what the humans are going to do with the salmon out there and the the industry and uh things so i guess um i just i guess it's it's uh when i do artwork fishing pops out bristol bay pops out because it's a it's a pretty powerful part of my life um even though it's only six weeks a year there's a lot of planning and discussion and involvement that happens in the winter but i'm only really out there on the land about six weeks a year and when you talk about the things that have happened about out there and how that shaped your work what are what are you referring to i know for example you've been tracking you know seabird death and but you've also been tracking other kinds of tragedies and and hardships that happen out there the vulnerability of humans and animals in that landscape can you talk about that and and what that looks like in your imagery yeah, there's, um, unfortunately, there's been um, quite a few drownings in our district, and uh, there's not that many fishermen there. Um, so when something happens, it's, uh, well, it's it's just pretty intimate. The village is very small, maybe 70 people, the village of Pilot Point, and um, there have been a lot of violent deaths there and also in the um, fishing industry. Um, you know, I've been in a skiff looking for bodies at least three times in the last 10 years and um and just and then the kind of the bigger picture is um you know i just uh have spent a lot of time working and discussing the um you know how did how do we save wild salmon and sometimes i just see that uh we're gonna go the way of the other runs 
in the world. So, um, you know, and then there's just funny things too that pop out with artists, not all real heavy and sad, but you know, just like really intense, funny experiences or moments or phrases in the fishing community that seem to pop out into my artwork. And what, what kind of things have you been making? You, you had been, um, kind of gearing up for a show at Benel when the pandemic hit. Tell us about some of these um, sculptures that you create. Yeah, so it's kind of fun. I um, I feel like I'm kind of at the end of some of my different careers that I've had and it's kind of been freeing and I don't feel like, uh, I just have been able to just let really whimsical ideas pop out and I feel like I can actually spend time working on it where before, I felt more like it had to be more traditional art. And I have done a lot of really tight, very realistic scientific illustration. I've also done some printmaking and watercolor and such, but these are really different. They're little dioramas. Well, they're like two feet by two feet would be the largest down to about a foot by foot, but they're little boxes that have a scene in them, a fishing themed scene. And, um, Basically, I just have like an impression in my mind or a, a thing that happened. And then I just try and recreate it in these little boxes. And I was influenced um, when uh, I've been to Mexico during Day of the Dead festivals. And um, I've seen a couple of these dioramas and that kind of influenced me. And, and then also many, many, for many, many years, my fishermen are always skeletons in my work. So they're kind of like these little skeletons out fishing and doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking of like some really poignant ones where you have like a little circle of um, fisher folk sitting inside of a CB radio, like you've created this diorama where they're connecting in that space. Yeah. And so um, that, that kind of imagery, that depiction of, of, you know, fishermen, um, looking skeletal and, and the, the, the pandemic's rise was just a really, really difficult, you know, kind of thing that that intersection was a bit much. We, we, we decided that we would look at, you know, presenting your exhibit at another time, but there is a, there is a moment of incredible relevance and poignance there at the same time that I, I just want to point out. Yeah, it was interesting because I, I made the whole show before COVID was even anything anyone would heard about. And then, um, and then my show was supposed to be in April <laughs> and it's like, and I'm like, everyone's going to see these skeletons. They're just going to think COVID, you know what I mean? And, and, and it's weird to be an artist. I've never even thought about a pandemic or COVID when I made them. But then when you present it, that's what I felt like everyone was going to think. So it's, it was just a weird thing, you know, and then of course we couldn't have the show anyway um, as we wanted because people couldn't, you know, at that time people couldn't gather and stuff. So anyway, it was an interesting thing though, if you create art with one thing in mind and then something really big in the world is going to make everyone look at it a certain way. So that was an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, um... Sorry, let's talk a little bit about your work and how Bristol Bay has shaped your creative voice. Um, yeah, I think in a, in a similar way that Katie talked about, um, when we, commercial fishing is just such an intense time and we're just physically awake a lot more. And I think um, our summers are lived a lot more than our winters and they leave an impression on us and that's really, uh, physical and also emotional way. Um, and uh, so a lot of the work that's in my exhibit right now came out of um, my thesis that I was doing for architecture school. Uh, I was at that time kind of thinking about like, what is the most kind of architectural experience or architectural space that I've had in my life. And even though we spend almost zero time in buildings during the summer in Bristol Bay, it's really uh, has shaped a lot of how I think about space and time and materials. And so I started using some of the skill sets from architecture school, um, like drawing on theory and uh, you know drawing and, and looking at things in this kind of architectural spatial way 
to try to examine my experience um, in this incredibly rich landscape. Um, I think one of, one of the most poignant things about being in Bristol Bay in the summertime and working uh, the way we work um, is that uh, we just have such a, a longer relationship to time or time becomes something that's much more fluid and, and uh, freed from the regular hours on the clock and a regular work week and things. And that's such a gift that we have as fishermen. I think a lot of people in the modern world don't have that relationship to time. Although with this um, pandemic, I think that's changing for some people. Um, so yeah, I mean, Bristol Bay is, is um, I think the time aspect is uh, the one of the most powerful forces and some of the work that I was trying to explore in this show um, is looking at history in landscape and that's something I'm, I'm continuing to think about um, and how kind of time embeds itself in materials and uh, like memory. Some of the collages that I was doing with historical images, trying to see beyond my own lifetime, to see uh, beyond my own understanding of the fishery and what it was like with different vessels and what it was like before the commercial fishery was there. That's um, been something that I'm thinking about a lot and that kind of colors the way I actually fish when I'm on the boat in the river actively. Um, so yeah, thinking about time coming back or history coming back in an active way in landscape. And you depict these um, bowed shapes, like literally arcs of time measured through light in a pinhole camera. And that's reverberates through other sort of arcs and bow shapes and boat forms, historical and primarily. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of the work I've been doing, I've been thinking of these apparatuses as ways to see time and history and landscape differently. And um, fishing is one of those apparatuses and these collages and pinhole cameras are just like other tool sets um, that I think are lenses, you know, to help kind of magnify things that are not as easily accessible. Um, and yeah, so the, the arc made by the sun moving across the sky has these reverberations and these other things that touch fluidity, uh, like the shape of a net or the hull of a boat. Um, yeah, and I just am so entertained by that concept of there being a relationship between the sun and these human things we make that touch water. And I don't know what that means, but it's really fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Amber, Tell us a little bit about how your a sense of place um, informs and shapes your work. Well, I think uh, it's interesting to hear um, uh, both of the other artists refer to intensity because I feel like that intensity, um, it never really leaves this place like there's a seasonal the, of course the fishing season is intense subsistence season is really intense and that work ethic um definitely is the style i work in where uh i i work on something as hard as i can until it's done like sometimes not sleeping very much so that that rhythm i think affects my work but also um a lot of the um, political and kind of the fallout from that industry. I deal with that a lot in my work. Um, but also I think, um, like when you're talking about Bristol Bay, you're talking about this seasonal kind of rhythm. Every, every harvest, has a rhythm and and time and time is measured between harvests and and nothing else really matters out here um that all that much um and i think also another thing i'd like to sort of mention is um sort of later in my career just in the last couple of years i've been able to trace a lot of the yupik art 
a lot of the shapes and the images that you see in that artwork. Um, as I've spent more and more time outside, I've been seeing exactly where that comes from. Th those sort of these um, creatures that you see in Yupik artwork, that's the spirits of these places. Uh, and I, I think, um, I don't know, I think that there's a lot to that. Um, it, it's, there are just so many layers to living here. And um, yeah, I don't know if that even answered the question, but. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what about Faray's, um proposition of time as a circular concept how does that how does that sit with you or how does that reverberate well, what, that, what that initially made me think of really kind of intensely was um how a lot of the time like when i think about time especially in connection with my own artwork i'm measuring time in generations like I'm thinking of not even just in seasons, but in generations of people. Like I can trace different trends within my generation, within my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation. And I think that um, a lot of the uh, kind of ideas that I'm dealing with in my work right now have to do with how this belief um, within the Yupik belief system that we return to our families cyclically, just like salmon return to um, streams in a cycle that, uh, you know, the passing on of names and how we come back to each other forever. So when we think about our relationships with ourselves and with each other, there's a permanence to those relationships that I think really is pretty uncommon now in a lot of places but it's never stopped existing here and I think that that's one of the things that makes um, I think all native communities but especially especially Bristol Bay really special is that um, the way that we're tied together is bigger than anything else I know And, and one more thing, because it feels like such a poignant um, circle, is this, this fact of pandemics resurgence, you know, in your village and the circle of time, you know, revisiting the era of the Spanish flu, revisiting the impacts of colonization. It's a big giant circle that's just come around again. How is how is that kind of? I'm interested in your thoughts on that and how that might be wrapping up in your, in your work. Well, I think I think that that is interesting because even before this pandemic, um, I had been trying to retrace my own family story because of the displacement from the Spanish Spanish flu pan pandemic. And pardon me, I have a small person here with me sitting in the car sneezing, but <laughs> uh, but but I, I like I had been trying to retrace um, some of the old family ties that I, I we had been lost. Um, and I, I think like some people out here don't really think about that history all that much, but that pandemic completely changed like where people were located, how many people were in each community. And even if we don't think about that on a daily basis, it completely um, changed all of our stories. So, you know, when this, when this happened, I think that uh, my initial response to it was definitely pretty fear-based because like, like feeling a terror that I, that was not even necessarily connected to the things that were happening right now. Um, and I think not really understanding that completely until afterward that, that that was kind of a, a response to historic trauma. Um, and I don't know, it's kind of, I'm, I'm not really speaking in a very eloquent way right now, but um, 
I think that that the way that we experience pandemics here is so different because everything like everything has to be brought in and except for the things that we harvest here and um like a lot of the even just the buildings that people live in carry those stories too like like we use the same buildings for a really long time and even if you just look at the history of some of the older structures here it can be traced back some of them almost to that time period so it's kind of interesting well i mean the the fact of being rattled and, and just responding, you know, on your toes like this is completely understandable. And this is a very um, brave and <laughs> generous um, move on your part. We really appreciate how you've managed to um, make it possible to be present for some of these conversations and help connect, um, you know, many of us near and far to the um, to these stories you speak of. Could you talk a little bit about um, what that looks like in your work and in, in your imagery. How is, is COVID-19, is this resurgence of the pandemic visually coming up? Is it manifesting yet or is it still kind of swirling um, around the mind and the heart in a way that makes it hard to? Well, I think it is coming up quite a bit because I, I think a lot of what, so out here, the way that we live, and I believe that this was already kind of mentioned, but the way that we live out here, some of the things that we're dealing with, like some of the grief that we deal with on a regular basis, we have opiates, we have MMIW, we have suicide, we have these really intense, painful things that are happening on a regular basis in most Bristol Bay communities. So a lot of the things that I've been doing with my work since the pandemic started have been trying to create some kind of sort of graphic messages that like call people back in like yes domestic violence has a tendency to increase when you're isolated uh we've seen a spike in suicides these you know we've seen some drug overdoses and that's I've noticed it's also um, like I'm putting that into the art and trying to say the things that I think I need to hear and a lot of people here need to remember but um, but also a lot of our responses oh don't open that I have a a lot of our responses to to those kinds of issues it's almost like we were slower to respond to the pandemic because we're functioning almost in a constant state of like heightened uh, stress at all times here. And so it's almost like people just kind of continued with business as usual because we're already kind of at capacity. And I think for people um, sometimes some for some of the people at least that come in and fish and then leave again i feel like it might not be something that they really completely like viscerally connect with that like the things that happen here that it doesn't stop at the end of the season you know um but i think that a lot of people that come here to fish really do have a visceral experience of that because it's kind of hard not to unless you're pretty isolated from it um but yeah so that definitely did affect my work i think i put a lot of things on hold um and just kind of tried to focus on on responding to some of those things that i know are happening um yeah amber thank you I really hear what you're saying about being in a state of heightened stress and, and trauma and um, how, uh, how difficult it might make it to be nimble and just, you know, look to the, the, the present moment and, and um, 
know exactly what to do. Earlier, um, Katie was talking about making sculptures that in a, in a visceral and very graphic way spoke about um, vulnerability and the impacts of the landscape and the work fishing. And um, I want to circle back to you, Katie, and ask how and if um, COVID is is starting to shape your creative process in any way that you can physically or verbally articulate yet? Yeah, I definitely um, have been having like my little images of art pieces that um, have to do with COVID, but I'm too busy getting ready to fish right now to do art. <laughs> but, um, but I'll, you know, I, usually get a brainstorm and then make a sketch in my sketchbook and uh, kind of try and document it for later. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm sure we all have a lot of thoughts around COVID um, and mine are pretty tangled up into some bigger things. But anyway, I don't, I, uh, I guess I don't have a whole lot without getting into a longer answer than what we have time for mm -hmm. but um yeah I guess you know I talked earlier about you know like there's maybe I have a piece of artwork that talks about someone's death or drowning and then there's the bigger picture and um I just feel like climate change is climate change and just too many humans on the earth is uh a much bigger problem than COVID and um COVID's just a you know, it's, it's a terrible thing, but it's like, I feel like there's some bigger stuff down the road. Let's just leave it at that. Sorry. What are you thinking about right now? Um, well, I think for me, the, this pandemic is sort of, um, reaffirm some things that I've already been interested in because it both um, brought the the super local into uh, really clear focus. Um, I think just with not the possibility of traveling isn't here and so we're forced to look at our homes and look at our local connections and relationships even closer and I think with the isolation um, those are even we understand the value of um, in-person relationships even though we can't really have them in the same way um, so i think it's interesting that it's both really heightening this specific local connection but also showing how deeply interconnected we are as a planet and as a species among other species um, uh, kind of was reading um, some like feminist and post-humanist kind of theories when i was in school um, that are starting to like break down the idea of human exceptionalism where you know we are in the center and it's our responsibility to both save the planet and to you know uh, use it as we want um, and these ideas are breaking that hierarchy down and really reinforcing the fact that we as humans are deeply in relationship to our landscapes and the lives of um, creatures and non you know non-animal creatures as well and so the pandemic is kind of just reinforcing that because this virus has so disrupted our human rhythms um so thoroughly in a way that nothing else could have i think um so i mean along with katie i think there are some bigger things coming down the line and the virus has kind of opened a door to change some of these things and reassess our relationship to um, there's a lot of things that I think have the potential to go really poorly and um, yeah in the pandemic in Bristol Bay Amber I think um, Katie and I were talking about this you know when we initially decided to cancel our joint show in April um, that yeah for us too it's been it's been um, you know, so concerning just thinking about our relationship as fishermen coming to Bristol Bay because that fishery already has an undertone of exploitation um, with, you know, the white uh, industry coming into these native lands and um, just kind of thinking about our role in that has been 
yeah, it's been, you know, emotional and it's, uh, so I just, yeah, I think overall the pandemic has made me think a lot about our connections to each other and how important it is um, to understand like the things that are local and really tangible to us too. I appreciate you, um, you know, acknowledging the vulnerability and the history, the history of colonization and how it is very um, re-emergent in this moment. Um, you spoke of some um, artists or theorists who you've been looking to, and I wonder if um, you might mention specific artists or um, theorists who have been really valuable to you at this time, whether it relates to pandemic or it relates to um, adaptation um, and rethink systems um, change. Sorry. Yeah. Um, one theorist that I was reading in school, her name is Karen Barad. Um, not exactly sure how you would categorize her. She's kind of like a feminist theoretical physicist, which you wouldn't think has a whole lot to do with architecture, but um, some of her, her theories were really um, informative in changing the way um, I think. So there was a, a term she used is called, um, where it's not interactive, but it's interactive and it's talking about difference and how um, it's not really a difference in kind, but a difference in kin. So, you know, on this planet, we are all a family and we are all in kinship with each other. And I'm talking about humans and rocks and plants and salmon and um, all of the elements that are on this planet. And it's the differences between us are um, sort of where that meaning is made. And it's, it made me, it's a kind of like a theory of hope because it's not, and I've actually seen a lot of reverbs in this and some, some Buddhism that I've been reading lately, but um, it's not this kind of futile attempt to reach across the divide and connect with something that is different. It's more that we are all already kind of similar and it's um, more of, more of a thing of kind of, it's really hard to talk about, but uh, more an issue of kind of like acknowledging the differences uh, and the meaning that happens in those differences. Um, and actually, it's really cool, Emily Johnson, that you're here because in my research, I came across one of, uh, maybe it was a dissertation you wrote about um, the role of Yupik dance in making the world. Um, and that had, that was a really interesting moment because it kind of tied in a lot of these ancient ways of knowing with some of these more contemporary theorists talking about uh, performativity and repetition. And uh, yeah, I mean, just the seasonal aspect up here in the North, we all kind of understand these performative things that we do at each stages of the season. And uh, yeah, kind of these theories sort of just reinforced things that I grew up knowing. Mm. Amber. As Thore talks about um, artists and theorists and histories that she's looked to for um, hope, for guidance, do you find some for yourself that um, are giving you strength? Do, where do you find yourself um, researching? Um, I would say, uh, I find a lot of hope um, outside, you know, <laughs> like all of the things that were here before any pandemics that we've experienced are still going to be here afterwards. Even, and, and that's one of the things that really calms me down when I get kind of wound up about environmentalism and where that intersects with, you know, uh, colonization and sort of um, the ways that native lives are a native undervalued. I, I look at the land and like, so I was, I'll tell like a really, really short story. Um, we were testing out, we just got a skiff and we were testing it out and I was going down the Wood River and I looked over, we were looking for like to see if there were any seagull eggs and we were gonna try to harvest some seagull eggs if we could find any on the river and I looked over at this bank and it was this like 
almost black mud along the banks, um, wet mud. And I saw this creature come out of the mud. Like, I, I think it was real what I saw, but it wasn't of this realm. Like it was something that wasn't real in the sense that I'm real standing here. You know, it was, it was of, of a different world, but I saw it and it just, it just hit me that like this, all of our movements and our dance, it moved just like Yupik dance moves in the same kind of rhythm. And it, I just, I was just taken aback because I'd never seen anything quite that vividly before being out on the land. And that, to me, that was um, a huge source of hope because I'm like, this, this thing that I'm seeing is older than the concept of good and evil. And it, like when you're looking at something that you can't explain and you see something like that. Um, and then you, and then you realize that everything that your culture is built on comes from that. That's like, how can you not be a carrier of hope? You know? So that's, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's powerful. Emily, it's really great to have you with us. It's a privilege to, to have you with us and to stay connected across this di distance. You know, as a Yupik Alaskan dancing, creating dances, living in New York City, you know, um, and being a part of this conversation. I'm, I'm wondering a little bit about what you're thinking about, you know, as Amber reflects on where she finds hope. And um, as we think about ways forward, would you be interested in sharing some thoughts and reflections on this conversation? Uh, hi, everyone. Sure. Um, yeah, it's been really wonderful listening to you three. And hi, Amber, again. <laughs> um, yeah, that story you just shared was so powerful. And I was thinking about that being, and I've been um, <clears throat> working with my friend, Karen Reckle. She's a, a Cree scholar and she's based in Toronto and um, we've been thinking a lot about this time of, of emergence and yes, the time of emergency, but also this time of like, how, how do we emerge and not necessarily like there, there are different protocols of, of waiting, of course, and it's very different here than it is in Alaska or it's very different in this city of New York city than it is in some of some other cities and the protocols that you have to do to maintain um, uh, safety and health in the community is, is a little different everywhere. But in terms of emergence, even within a time when we have to be separate from one another, what does that look like? And we've been thinking a lot about the trees and a lot about, we've been really thinking about our collaboration with trees and our collaboration with fire and like, but how how to actually think about collaboration with from being to being in a, in a in a in a very um, uh, consensual and equitable way? So not so much like what do I get from my thinking with the trees, or my, what do I get by exchanging breath with the trees? But actually thinking beyond that into real relationality and relationship. And I guess what Amber was just saying really really helped me to really. I don't know, I was, I was thinking about that and I don't know, I'm a very, it's, it's funny, Asia, that you asked about hope because I think you know I'm, I'm a very hopeful, hopeful person. Um, and I, I even sometimes say that I'm hopeful to a detriment, but, <laughs> but it's actually quite difficult to find, to find hope right now. And I think that's partly um, because there are these surges of, of care that I'm seeing people and, and, and other beings like find ways to extend to one another. And then there are these things that are happening, like what is happening in Minneapolis right now and, and, and George Floyd being killed and what happened in Central Park the other day. And it's like, I'm finding these moments being like extra, extra weighted right now. And, and, and maybe it's okay to not have as much, as much hope right now, because I feel like people are actually working in a different in a different way through things, um, which which then is maybe more hopeful, like actually working toward deep change. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe hope is, um, you know, it's it's just 
are a bit ridiculous and, and the more reasonable way of, of thinking about it is where do you find energy, you know, to move forward? How do you move forward, you know, in ways that express um, allyship, that acknowledge kinship, some really interesting mm -hmm. ideas that have circled through this conversation. And I want to remind everybody who's listening that you're invited to, to um, speak up, to share questions or um, observations and reflections. And so please feel free to, to unmute yourself and, and chime in here, or um, if you would prefer to type your question in the sidebar, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. I feel really, um, just kind of overcome by the intensity of all that's been shared, you know? Yeah, um, thanks Emily and Amber and, and Thoria, everyone. And I guess what I'm thinking about right now is kind of the hope and, uh, you know, a lot of my work with, because of the skeletons and stuff, and it looks kind of pessimistic. Some of it's humorous, but um, I guess I find my strength and hope just in uh, the natural world. I've always been the kid who's been outside and more interested in the bugs and the leaves than other stuff. And um, that's, you know, not better or worse than anything else. It's just what my fascination that I've had. And um, so I guess I, uh, you know, it doesn't take too, you know, I can be in town here in Homer and struggling through COVID paperwork and the news and thinking about everything. But, you know, you take the skiff across the bay and go hiking and it just all kind of fall for me it, some people could say i'm in denial when i go over there but to me it falls into place and things um i just feel the balance of the chemistry of nature and um the world uh outside of the little worlds we create in our culture and our minds and um and uh that's i'm really looking forward to heading out to gashik and just uh turning off the static and just getting back to the beach and the waves and the the cranes and just uh, that's that's what helps me anyway. Thank you for um, for sharing. You know, as we as we open this conversation today, I invited everyone to weigh in with their thoughts about um, ways to describe the adaptation we're going through. The conversation began as inspiration in isolation in March, and we're moving through a time of emergence, which is a key word that has cropped up in the sort of sidebar of brainstorming, along with this idea of um, ways of knowing. And I'm interested to hear from others if you want to share the things that you are leaning into, the ways of knowing that um, give you energy at this time, that give you a sense of direction. So feel free to speak up if you want to. And I want to thank you so much for, um, you know, for all gathering here today. And Katie, one, one question that I had for the others, and, and I want to circle back to you also, is artists that you might be looking to. Um, I know you're a powerful naturalist, but as an artist um, and a reader, if, are there um, voices, um, projects that have uh, inspired you? during this time? Yeah, I guess um, one of my favorite artists uh, lives down in Guanajuato, Mexico, and um, he goes by Pinche de Grabador, and which means the fucking printer. And uh, he, uh, he's just kind of a warrior, you know, and he, he, he has very, you know, very bold graphic uh, prints and, and other things, and he just, you know, there's part of me that is very blunt and I, you know, you just, I, I enjoy people who say it like it is. And, um, and I feel like um, he just cuts through a lot of bullshit with his work and, uh, and um, he challenges uh, politics and, and status quo a lot. Um, so I, I do, uh, you know, there's just kind of a warrior part of me that's like, you know, I don't know. Sometimes these things that happen and things that you think about, uh, there's always a part of me that's 
that uh, it triggers me like, you know, like, let's just pick up the sword and the shield and let's go for it. You know? <laughs> so it's kind of like, uh, you know, metaphorically or whatever. So I, I like his work and it gives me uh, strength just kind of like put it out there, say it how it is kind of deal. Mm, thank you. Um, Nancy Lord had suggested that if, if any of the artists featured here today wanted to share any images of the work um, with those of us who are watching and listening, you are absolutely invited to do that. And everyone's also invited to share comments or reflections listening to this conversation today. I don't know if it's easy for you to pull up um, any images and you wish to do that on screen share, but you're certainly invited that can be happening in the background this conversation. Um, I will say that um, it, um, at the Anchorage Museum, Francesca Dubrock, the chief curator, made a beautiful um, profile of Amber's work that you can see at the Anchorage Museum website if you go there. Um, and um, we also have a really um, interesting profile of her work on missing and murdered indigenous women and children in the giant cuspic project. Katie's work is all visible online. I'm sorry, I wish it was. That was um, my heart speaking. It was, it's Thore's work that's all visible online right now through um, the end of the month while she exhibits at the Nell and, and, and hopefully before too long, Katie's work will be as well. And thank you so much for joining us today. If anyone has closing thoughts or reflections, please feel free to, um, to chime in. This has been a powerful conversation and um, just the right one to have at this time as we think about reemergence because I appreciate how um, vulnerability and trauma have been acknowledged alongside hope and courage. This will be um, shared on Benel's podcast as will future conversations. Um, next week, um, we, well, we actually have a bunch of really great conversations coming up. Um, some of the artists that we'll be talking to in the coming weeks are um, Tamara Wilson and Jimmy Reardon about their mobile art projects happening in Alaska during this time. Um, we'll be talking with the um, N Collective and Indigenizing the Future. Nathan Schaefer and uh, Melissa Shaganoff. Um, we'll be talking with three dancers, Mariah Maloney um, in New York City, raised in Homer, Becky Kendall from Anchorage and currently based there with Momentum Dance Company, and Maura Garcia, who's um, Menemuskeet Cherokee um, artist who was recently here in a project called um, the Indigenous Roadshow. And the three of them will be talking about dancing in isolation. I want to invite you to return on Thursdays at 11 to this conversation and to revisit past conversations at vanillarts.org. Thank you all so much. Take care. Thank you.